All right. So I'm here with Rob Glock. Uh, I'm so happy to have you on. How long have you been doing comedy now? Thanks, Dwight. I'm happy to be on here, too. Uh, I've been doing comedy for about a year and a month now. How are, are you? Well, of course, you're liking it. But how has it been so far, do you think? It's been crazy, dog. You know, like, I've just been just hitting open mics, meeting all these wonderful people, you know, hearing about everybody's crazy story, you know, and feel better about mine. You know, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I think uh, the last time I saw you at uh, Prep Coffee, that's a great mic, isn't it? It's like, do you like it? Yeah, that's a nice mic. Alex Dolesky hosts that very well. Yeah. And I, it always feels like there's a little... There's a little bit of a crowd there. They're usually like teenage girls, but it's like fine. And uh, but it's always great. And he does a great job of you know a great mic is like it. It feels weird to talk about because it's so rare that mics are that fun. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, as very uninterested as I am in teenage girls, I do like um his open mic and the fact that you know like. It, there's like there's no features, so you know, so like every open mic feels like they're special in a certain. Oh way. yeah, for sure. Like you know, like there's no features where you have to like you know where you have to wait. To yeah. Go on set after these people get their ten minutes done, yeah. so everybody equally gets five minutes, and it's it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, with the poetry scene, like it's great that they have, uh, like, come into our scene and it's really helped. But like that's one of the things that's very tough, especially like breaks in between. They're kind of good for the hosts I guess but like to me it's like I like when things just continue to flow on and people can come up like immediately yeah, yeah well I got well the thing with how I feel about it is that like I like that the poets and the comics come together yeah because we're all, we all, like let's be honest we're all really looking for an open mic oh we yeah want to make it one day oh yeah it's so all that we similar get to share an open mic and we get to do our thing together is just awesome it's like it's it's like it was a separation of poets and comedians, but because of Damien, now they're together. Yeah, and just their their whole vibe, like, all of them are really, really cool. So it's, and it's cool to hear that they've, you know, changed sort of poetry in a sense of how it used to be sort of this stuffy, like, intellectual thing. And they're like, no, we're punk rock. We're gonna... <laughs> yeah, like, we're, we're gonna do people. our shit no matter what, <laughs> you know? Um. So I know you're a big... Uh, Joey Diaz guy. Uh, when did you start listening to him? Like, how old were you when you started, like, really getting into his stuff? Well, right now I'm 23 years old. Yeah. I started, I heard of Joey Diaz. Like, I, I am a fan of Joey Diaz, but he's not the one I lean towards because oh. I don't want it to be, like, too, you know, like, similar. Right. But I actually learned about Joey Diaz when I was 19. When I was working at, like, Tommy's Tavern and Tap and Freehold, I had a couple of buddies of mine. And, you know, I'm like an old, I like... Everybody knows I'm Italian, but, like, just by how I talk and how I act. But right. Like, these people were like, look, you remind me of someone. And I'm like, oh, who? Who do I remind you of? And then they go, Uncle Joey. Now, they didn't say his full name. Right. So I'm like, I, that remind me of, of you of your uncle? That's a little fucking weird. Right. And then they were just, they were just like, no, you idiot. Like, Joey Diaz. <laughs> so I looked him up. And, dude, he is one of the, like, he is a funny-ass guy. Oh, he yeah, is one for of sure. the funniest people, I think. I've seen next to Bill Burr and like Andrew Dice Clay. And, oh yeah. You know, even watching Chris Rock's new special, that was amazing. Oh that yeah. The whole thing was set up perfectly. I thought his special was great. You know, it's, it's always so interesting to, to see Chris Rock because he has such an like iconic things that he does. Hello. Like the repetition, the like, the repeating and everything it's like you know the emphasis on <laughs> every joke it's so great and uh it's with um with you what i love what i saw you do recently at the prep coffee mic was uh you kind of did like i don't want to say an actual set but it felt more combined if that makes sense because a lot of what you do is just you know storytelling so, it really seemed like you took the time to at least try and combine stuff together, which is different than what you usually do. Yeah, and believe me, telling a story is just as hard as 
writing a one-liner, you know? Because yeah. you got to put all thoughts into it. you got to think of every aspect of how this joke is going to go. And then you also got to try to read the audience. Right. You, know, you got to try to make sure that they're on board with that joke. Yeah. And what's great is, like, do you... Do you have, like, little points? Like, I, it seems like you have, like, punches in between. Is that, like, improv or are little of those things, like, pre-planned? It's, uh, it's half and half, you know? Like, there's sometimes, there's some punchlines that I have written and set up for my stories. Mm-hmm. And then I'm telling the story and I'm reading in the crowd and, you know, they're enjoying it or they're not enjoying it. And then that's where I improvise, and I'll come up with a punchline to re-reel them back to me, you know? Right. So, yeah, it's half and half, you know? Yeah, it's so fascinating to me. Like, I I can never... I'm not good at storytelling jokes, so I just... I really admire it, because it takes a certain skill level. And I feel there's a patience to it, because you got to build up everything, and... Sometimes there's a big punchline at the end. Sometimes it's just peppered in. It's like to have that waiting period of like, this is going to be great is, is kind of a thing. And it feels like you sort of relish in that. Like, were you always a storyteller kind of around your friends and stuff? Yes, I was. Like, I, before I even started even thinking about comedy or watching stand-up comedy, I grew up in a very Italian family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all those people, my uncles, my aunts, they're storytellers. Right. So I'm hearing this growing up and I'm laughing, you know, I'm not understanding completely because it's like an adult story and I'm like 10 years old. Right. But I'm laughing and I'm giggling and I'm like, wow, like this is like, I guess this is what it means to be cool. <laughs> you know, right. like, you know, you watch people like who you admire and you think they're cool. So I started doing storytelling and then, you know, I would. I'd fuck around with my friends and tell them stories to make them feel better, you know, when, like, they're going through some shit. And uh, it's, it's, it's actually a gift, you know? Like, yeah. It's really nice sure. to be able to tell a story because everybody loves stories. Right. Uh, were, you, were you funny growing up, do you think? Like, in school and stuff? Were you a class clown or anything? I was voted class clown in oh. my senior year of high school. Oh. And also, in my yearbook... Oddly, everybody had the same remark to give me. Oh my God, Rob, you're so funny. I hope you have a great time in college. You know, so right. like, that was really, that was the only compliment I got in my yearbook. So I just took it that, hey, I might not be a good looking guy, but I'm sure as hell a funny guy. Right. It's always fun to, to, to find out that skill because there's such a, a bunch of ways that you can really use comedy. You know, it's a great defense for stuff. It can be, you know, a way to fight back. It can be, you know, a way to calm a situation down there's really so many so many ways to use it uh so you mentioned joe Diaz. you mentioned bill burr is there anyone else that you really like recently anyone um i'm really getting into and no uh what's his name andrew santino oh yeah yeah i'm really getting into him because i've been watching a lot of the podcasts Bad Friends with yeah. Bobby Lee and Andrew Santino. So I've been, I just finished watching Cheeseburger, his new special. I got to check that out. Is it any good? It's amazing. Oh, that's it's good. hilarious. That's really, really good to hear. Yeah, you know, I'm there's... telling you, like, what, like, how he set up that whole entire set was phenomenal. And, like, that's the thing. Now that I'm a con- like, being a comedian, like, I pay attention to how people set up their sets. Right. Because I want to improve in my comedy, too. But also, it was funny as shit. Right. Are you still able to... Do you feel like you're still able to watch comedy in that way where you don't really overanalyze it as much? Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Do like half of that. Right. right. There's half of it where I enjoy watching a stand-up and I enjoy the joke for what it is. And I give like credit to the comedian yeah but then also i look at it and i go wow that was really well put together like that is pure thinking and that's someone who's really into comedy and that's something that i would want to be in the near future oh yeah like i can just tell you like writing since 2020 i've been writing this like hour that i've been trying to write and it's so tough because i have the jokes like half of the jokes but it's putting everything into, like, a narrative. Because you don't want to make it too much of, like, 
a one-man show type of story. You want to make it a stand-up special. So, like, it's hard to to figure out, like, where you put the pieces. And I, it's really interesting to learn that and to watch different specials and see how people do them and be like, okay, that's how you can sort of do it. Because I think one of the things with stand-up that's, like, so tough is you want to be recognized as a comedian. Like, especially, like, you know, if you're there, you want to feel like you're doing... You want to feel like people can recognize what you're doing. Right. Yeah, and I, I hope people recognize what we're doing. You know, like I see you almost every week at open mics. We go to the same open mics, and, you know, hopefully after doing this for a while, people notice us. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, but uh, one thing that I also love about comedy is just the scene. Like, I love... Oh, yeah, for sure. I love getting out of work a little early going to an open mic, hanging out with everybody, doing my set, going to the back, smoke a couple joints, go do this and that. Like, it's awesome, man. It's literally a lifestyle that I wouldn't want to give up. Yeah, and I want to compliment you. I love how, like, friendly and open you are. Like, I'm very, like, I'm mixed. Like, I either need my, I like being with people socially I always say, like, I have a three-hour thing of, like, I can hang out with people socially for, like, three hours, and then I just need to be by myself. But with you, it's always encouraging. Like, I'll be by myself. I'll be, like, on my phone or whatever. You'll just call me over, and it's, like, it's so nice. It's, like, you know, it's, like, very welcoming. And you always seem to have, like, this – have you always been a very social person? Yeah. I've always been a social person. There was never a time in my life where I just didn't want to talk to nobody. Because, right. you know, like, why why not talk to somebody? Because you can learn something from somebody. Right, for sure. Um, I actually wanted to ask you about this, because uh, I did karate, like, a few years ago, for, like, three years. And I know that you did martial arts, hearing from a couple of your stories. I did. Uh, how long did you do it for? I did it for five years. I got up to a green belt. Oh, and then I went to college, so I pretty much gave up on it. But the funny thing about it was that I'm a big chooch. Like, I'm a big guy. Yeah. So they used to have me fight with the senseis and the black belts because I couldn't fight with the green belts. Ah. They didn't know as much as I did. Right. So I, so I, I learned black belt-like stuff. Right. I never made it to a black belt, actually. That's so I cool, though, a black belt. to be able to do that. I just got, to, like, a yellow belt and... It was just, it was just cool. Like, I remember some of the katas, but it's just, like, it's such a a regimented thing of, like, I felt like we did more working out than, like, really learning stuff. So that was kind of disappointing. But it's, like, to be able to get to that point is always so impressive. And just to do that. So that's really cool. You started at, like, how, how old were you when you started doing it? I was 15. Oh, 15. Oh, okay. So you did tell you were 20. Okay, so. Yeah, that's pretty cool, though. Like, to to reach that point and be, like, you know, pretty fit. And uh, <laughs> you just tell. Yeah, believe me, I'm not fit. I'm actually fat. Not fit. <laughs> yeah, you, you know? mentioned that, like. I used to do, like, I did karate and, like, I still was fat. Oh, really? But then, like. But, like, I got some weight down, which was good, you know, from doing all those fucking katas and yeah. people. But then, like, once karate went back, yo, I just started eating Oreos. <laughs> right. You know, you know how the comedy life is. Oh, yeah, for sure. You have no time to eat dinner. You gotta eat what's there. Right. Yeah, it can be, uh, it can be very tough, you know, to go to a mic and be like, okay, what am I going to do before, eat? Like, do you have, like, a regimen of, like, you know, I always feel like when you get into comedy, you kind of have your thing of, like, I eat before I do my set where I don't eat. Do you have any type of, like, I don't know, like, uh, what's it called? Like, superstitions about, like, oh, I don't eat before, or what's your... Oh, totally. Like, so what my, my regimen is before doing a set is I'll get, to the, I'll get to the bar of the open mic an hour before it starts. Yeah. I'll get something to eat at the bar. All right, then I'll hang out with everybody. Then I'll go outside, smoke a joint. I'll come back in. I'll re, like, hang out with everybody. Like, I'll, like, cooperate and stuff. 
and then once I get on my set, it's like it's like a potion where like you're already in the social mood. You've talked to everybody. There's nothing gonna be weird. Right. So you can just get on there and act like, hey, I'm still talking to you from just before. Right. It's impressive that you're able to do that kind of stoned. Like I know you have a high preference uh, tolerance for uh, THC, yeah. so it's it's impressive because it, I can't imagine like I got high one time. The first time I did edibles was at a uh, Scarlet Reserve, and that was not a good idea. <laughs> it was just like <laughs> this is not yeah, good. That sounds like a fun idea to me. Yeah, but I, I just wasn't used to it. It was my first time doing that, so I was just like, yeah, like oh, crap. Can't do it, you know? <laughs> some people who smoke weed and then go do their set, like, it makes them forget their set. Yeah. You know, I understand that, because that used to happen to me in the beginning. Yeah. But then, like, now, like, I just realized, you know, like, I can still smoke, and if I just don't really think about it too hard, it'll come to me. Because I've written out my sets, like... I do the thing where I write out my set, like my whole set, multiple times, so that since I'm writing it, I'll remember it. Oh, that's and a then, good idea. Yeah, and then I'll, like, step away from it and then just not do it for a little bit mm -hmm. or go do my set the night of after doing that all morning. And I don't even think about it, and I go up there, and I just remember my set because I wrote it out so many times. Right. That's really, really good to... To hear that you had that process for me i'm just like I'll, I'll write like a premise and then i just have to go out and just like hammer it for for weeks and just be like the thing that's so tough now especially like doing comedy the one thing that i sort of hate nowadays since uh past covid like times is it's way harder to do comedy in front of other comedians when i started doing comedy it feels like such an ancient role to talk about of like I used to perform in front of regular people and it's so tough now because people get sick of your jokes faster you have to write more which is good for you to learn how to do but uh it can always be tough you know because I think we we want a genuine audience like performing in front of other comedians I don't know if you have this do you have like specific friends that you want to make laugh like I always have that I have certain comedians that are like friends of mine or people I look up to and I'm like, I want to get that person to laugh. Yeah, well, usually when I do open mics, it's usually other comedian friends that I have. Yeah. You know, you know like, you know, all the comedians who poets sit up front and then at the back is just all the people who want to drink and watch the game. Well, I, my goal is to talk so loud that they hear me that and they hear, to, like, yeah. hear my story. Yeah, sure. Definitely. Because that can be the hardest thing is to get those people, you know, on board. And sometimes they'll turn around and then they'll be like a cool thing. Like, oh, they're paying attention now. They got... And if you're the one comic that they, that they turn around for, which it usually is you, like, it's cool. Because it's like, oh, I finally, I finally got the whole entire room. Um, yeah, that, that's very... I love when I, when... I think I've only got the entire room twice in uh -huh. my comedy career. Yeah. Which, you know, is there's long to go, but, you know, that was that's a very good feeling. That's, like, the best feeling in the world when you just get the whole room and all eyes are on you. Yeah. I feel like the three, like, you're of the three, like, attention-grabbing, in a good way, comedians. Like, if I had to put on a show right now, like, the people I would book is you, Nick, and Ricky. Like, they're just... <laughs> Thank you guys are just like, and Those do you feel uh, great comedians, by the way, Nick Sanchez, Ricky Ramsey. Oh yeah. Ricky. I want to give them, I want to give them a shout out. On your they're so great. Well. Like, like Those two to get, those two are, are like deadly. And I feel like when you guys go up, it's like a trifecta either way that it happens. Does that make sense? Like, you know, it, I feel like once one of you does well, like everyone else and everyone else does well. Like, that's the great thing about uh, comedy and open mics is like once someone sort of cracks open the room, it makes it easier for everyone to to go. Like I hate going first, but what do you feel about like in terms of uh, signing up and like what space you go in? Do you like to go first? I like to be. I like to go second or third, mm -hmm. and I'll tell you why. Yeah. I don't like to be first because I don't know how the room's gonna be and i like to oh, yeah, see how sure. the room is before i go up right 
And once I hit second, I feel like I could, like, just tell my stuff. And, you know, also, like, I also work at Amazon. So, like, and I'm usually an hour and a half drive right. from all open mics. So I like to go up first, hang out with everybody, and then stay until, like, the last open micer and then be able to leave. Yeah, but it seems, it seems like you stay, like, pretty well. So that's that's a good habit to have. I was terrible at that starting out. Because I just got used to just staying with my friends. And then, uh, essentially what happened was at this, uh, at the Brighton Bar, which was before Niffin Hug we had for like a few years, a couple of years, was, uh, people started making fun of me, you know, cause I had a lot of Dan and people would roast me. So other people would kind of do it lazily, like if they didn't have any jokes and, uh, um, I would leave, yeah, I've seen that. I would I've leave during that. my, you know what, Dweck, it's, it's not like, it's not the, it's not right. Because people should come with jokes if you're trying to, you know, be a comedian. Yeah. But then, like, one day, like, honestly, if I want to see five people talk about you, and then you go up there, and then just annihilate them all, like Eminem. Right. You know what I mean? Like, just <laughs> right. one by one by one by one. Yeah. I wish I could do that. To me, I'm just always so, like, the bad thing about me is I'm very, I always try with more comedy to be more, because I think, like, I think the sign of a great comic, and you have this, like, I think there's two qualities that a good comedian needs to have. They need to be observational, but they also need to be very introspective about themselves. And that's an underrated quality. Like, you look at someone like Caprio, like, he's a very, like, judgy kind of observational person, but also he knows himself pretty well. So, like, he can critique himself in a way that is very self-aware in ways that you wouldn't expect. Yeah, Cap- yeah. Caprio also, I, I actually, like, I'm not saying anything, like, about Caprio. I, I, the fact that Caprio, he promotes himself very, very well. Oh, yeah. Like, I see, I see him on Instagram. Like, he'll post music, but then he'll post, like, you know, every single open mic that he's going to. Oh, yeah. Headshots. He just does it all. Which is amazing to me. I I want to do that. Yeah. And he's just someone who has put in that time. And has also dealt with a lot of stuff of just like... You know, it's it's interesting to see someone like you who's very... Uh, like, kind of a people person. Because a lot of comedians are very to themselves. And uh, it's interesting to see that difference. Because socially, I used to talk about it a lot on this podcast of how socially it can be very hard when you start out. Do you, f- and I know you've talked a little bit about, you know, you mentioned like in the scene. Do you feel like you had that right away, like that camaraderie? Or was there a little bit of a period of not really fitting in? So there was a period. Like in the beginning, like the first three months of my of comedy, yeah, where I felt like I didn't fit because I would be at the open mic sitting there trying to get into the conversation, trying to meet people, right, and nobody really gave me the time of day, right. It was it was more when I showed up, like when I kept showing up, right. Like when we were doing Max's mic, Max Shepard's mic, yeah. at the library, we like, yeah, nobody was talking to me besides you, Dwight, yeah. which I appreciate, but. I kept showing up, and I kept showing up every week because I didn't want to be a quitter. Right. Because that, that's one thing in my family. Like, they taught me not to quit. Like, every other family tells you not to quit. Right. But it just bothered me to quit something. So I just kept showing up, and I wanted to make my comedy better. And then as I kept coming to these open mics and found more, like, once I found Damien's open mics, that's when people really started talking to me. Right. I think it's once you, know? you spread your name out, because that's the biggest thing is just showing up is... A major thing, as long as you show up somewhere, people will, people will like it and you'll, you'll learn, like getting better in front of people is always getting better as a comic. Like I think one of the biggest problems is uh, a lot of people are more funny than they are off stage, And I always feel like that's the thing that like some people need to work on. Like I don't name any names, but it's like you'll see them do their set and they won't do well, but then you'll talk to them before or after the mic, and they're, like, really, really funny. And it's, like, you always got to try and find that that way to get on stage. And 
it can be tough to put your, put your stuff out there. Because I don't know if you feel this way. Um, like, sometimes there's a perceptive of what things you think are funny, like your sense of humor, and then what people want you to do. Do you ever feel like yeah. people have an expectation that's wrong of, like, what you sort of do or a misinterpretation? Yeah. Like, I know, like, I know a couple of people who I won't share anything. Right. Like, they're more into Jerry Seinfeld type stuff. Like, right. They're into, like, that very, like, set-up punchline. Right. Where I'm into storytelling with punchlines. Right. Just so that, just because I want to do something, like, a little, like, I don't want to be the same comedian as everybody else. Like, right. Like, I want to I stick out. Yeah, like I want to be that person that you know you don't you see as a comedian, but you also see as someone who's just trying to you know make your day a little right. easier than what it was before. When you're a long form like sort of comedian like you are, that can be sort of the hardest hurdle. It's sort of explaining like that there's still punches in it, there's still punchlines and little things in it, and there's still like the beats of comedy inside of it, and. Uh, I wanted to ask, uh, there's a lot of, a couple of storytelling comments I do, um, have you ever watched or listened to a Kyle Kinane? No, I haven't. If you look him up, he's, he's really good with his stuff, just, and it's funny because he doesn't consider himself like a storytelling comic, because he just says that he, like, elongates everything, like every joke he just tries to make longer, which is just, like, great, but, uh... It's it's just so interesting to hear that that story of doing that. Um, so, uh, how are you? Uh, how are your parents like and family with you doing stand up? Do they sort of know that you're doing it? Yeah, my family knows I do stand up. Uh, they haven't seen me yet, you know, because I was trying. I wanted to get good, you know, right. or at least better than what I was before anybody saw me. But, you know, now that I have, like, a, an idea of how this goes, I started promoting myself on Instagram and Facebook and all that. And now I'm letting, now, like, my friends are coming to see me. Right. So, you know, my parents were, like, really cool with it. They're like, oh, that's really cool. And, like, they would try to, like, speak. To this day, Dweck, my mother still sends me videos of comedians saying that I can learn from them. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, I guess, but he... Right. And, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's like, Ma, like, I got it. You know? Right. You know, like, you don't got to worry, okay? Right. And, like, but, like, she, she does it out of love. Which right, for sure. And my dad, he just, he just tell he just refers, like, Eddie Murphy uh, right. stand-up specials. Because right. I think he's not into stand-up, so that's, like, the only right. kind of comedian he knows. Well, that makes sense, yeah. I mean... Eddie Murphy is, you know, I get a lot of, you know, he was never, like, a person that really made me laugh, but I've always really admired his, I've always recognized his talent. It's like when you don't like a certain musician, but you can admit, like, they're good at music. They're good at whatever music they play. Like, with him, what's just so great is just the the entire, I say, like, he's, like, Prince to me. It's like, you know, like, the way he dresses, the way he speaks, it's like really define that that narrative of, you know, how you're gonna perform in front of people is great. Uh so are you like a big Eddie Murphy fan? Are you kidding me, Dweck? He's yeah. the voice of Donkey from Shrek. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm a huge fan a huge of Eddie fan. Murphy. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. For sure. I mean, he's just like, did you see uh um on Netflix, uh, that movie a couple years ago, uh, Dolomite. Yeah, I saw Dolomite, and I saw the movie he was in called You People. Yeah, yeah, I watched a little bit of that. I didn't finish it. Yeah, Dolomite was a good movie too, dog. I'm that was a great movie. Oh yeah, and just to see like him really get into that character, and that's another like type of comedian no one talks about. I forget his name. I know his like stage name was like Dolomite, but like he was just an amazing like person and to come from a place where like comedy was so like sparse really like this that's the one thing that was kind of new that we sort of live in this era where stand-up is really uh a big popular thing um yeah it's great so uh how many mics are you usually doing a week I usually do like four or five a week. 
Mm-hmm. I try to hit every one of Damien's mics, and then I go to Caprio's. I go to the Sauce Mike on Sunday. Right. You know, Nip and Tuck, Scarlet Reserve. I'll go to Ugly Pancake, uh, and then I'll have... I can't find any mics on Saturday. That's what Oh, yeah, Saturday. Saturday, is usually what people do for, like, shows, and... It's so tough to, it's very tough to break into shows because it's really not based on, a lot of it is not based on skill, I've learned. It's really just who you know. So it's just a tough, it's a tough thing because to me, I always get so, like I go between, I mix between getting offended and then like not feeling like I'm good enough. Like, I'll be like, and that sort of pushes me to be better and improve my stuff and be like, you know. And a lot of people, like, they're not even malicious with it. They just book the same people because it's a formula that works. Yeah, and I'm telling you, like, that's, that's motivation that we need. Right. Like, I would, like I, I would want somebody to come up to me at my set and say, hey, like, I have a joke that could work for your set. I'd be like, right. are you kidding me? Tell me. I did think of a joke that would either work for, like, the three of you that I mentioned. Um, I was actually going to give Ricky this joke. Was, uh, um, it's a little bit mean, but it's like, you know when you see, like, a curvier woman, but she doesn't have any curves in the right places? Like, she's just fat, but has, like, small boobs. It's like, it's like, what is that? Like, how does that even happen? (laughs) But I thought Ricky could do something really great with that. Oh my God, I call that dark comedy. Yeah. I love doing different, like, that's the one thing, like, with me is I'm a very, like, progressive liberal person. So, like, when I laugh at stuff, I always, like, try and keep it separate. I'm always, like, you know, I also realize... Like, there's just intent is the biggest thing. Like, if someone's intending to be a comedian and it's all about their art and it's funny, then I'm fine with it. I only get annoyed with comedy if it's done from a, an evil or bad place, which happens occasionally. Sometimes you'll get bad people in comedy and it's just, like, it's just disappointing. But with you and Ricky and, like, anyone who goes, like, towards that edge, like Nick even, like... There's still that, like, you know who they are as a core person. You know they're not a bad person. So right. it's it's a good way to, that's sort of the way that I sort of look at it as hard as offensive jokes go. It's like, you just kind of have to know the person, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you know, it's it's always with comedy trying something new. Yeah. You know, it's trying, it's like... Like comedians want to go over that line. Yeah, for sure. Because we want to, because we want to see like what we can do. Yeah. Like we want to, we want to know our limit, and then like once we know where the line is, really, because they tell us like the line starts here. Right. If we can creep up the line a little, it's like stopping at a stop sign. You don't stop at the line. You creep up a little bit to see if there are any cars coming. Right. That's exactly what we're doing. We're just creeping up the line to see what we can do, and then once we know what we can't do, that's where we stop. Right. And it's always a gamble of, like, I've never really seen you, and you'd probably be good at handling it, I've never seen you deal a whole lot with hecklers, which is interesting because it feels like with your style that could lead to a lot of interruption. Yeah. Do you... I've dealt with, I've dealt with, like, it's funny because I've dealt with the same heckler, mm-hmm. which we all know who it is. Right. But, um, like... I don't know, like, I've actually, because of that heckler, I started to know how to, like, deal with heckling. Right. Because it started to be, like, every show that person would heckle me, and then I, you know what, I prepared it. Right. I just write a, a set to, like, perform. I also wrote, like, backup heckling ideas. So right. So if anybody does heckle me, I have it in my back pocket prepared. Yeah. So it actually made me a better comedian. With me, I used to be, like, I used to be so, like, fight or flight like I would just like I would leave the stage immediately I would apologize like if I ever offended anyone really badly and like if I it got heckled it was bad and now like 
than a couple years ago. And even now, I'm just too mean now. When people heckle me, I can get like really mean. So it can like shut people up, but also you don't want to lose the room of like, because as a comedian, you sort of want to be viewed as like the hero of the room. You want to be like that person that people like. And you never want to lose that where people think, oh, this person's mean or this person's a dick or they want to be on your side, mostly the audience. So that's a tough thing to go to. For sure. Right. Yeah, I don't want, believe me, losing the, when you lose the room and you got to try to get it back, that's hard. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I did that at My Way Cafe at one of Damien's mics. It, it was one of the hardest things I, I've done because I had, like, nobody laughing for a good yeah. two minutes. My Way Cafe is an interesting thing. It's also a very tough... The one thing that's tough about it is I think it's it's better for someone around your age. You know, I'm, like, I'm close to 30, and the funny thing is, like, I can't believe we're still, like, out that late. Like, you know, it's very tough to do an open mic that's... You know, you're going up at, you know, 9 or 9.30 or 10 at night. It's very tough to be, like, at that point, especially when you've been there for hours, just, like, stewing of, like, okay, what am I going to do? And what is this going to be? Like, I always feel like there's sort of a sweet spot with comedy of, like, you know, 7 through, like, 9. It's, like, 7 through 9 p.m. is, like, the best time. But... It's so tough. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Seven through nine is actually a great window. Yeah, because... That's usually, that's, that's usually the window I'm in. Because I'm always, like, second or third on the list. So right. That's the window I'm in. So it still gives you energy to do comedy. Because what I do is I wake up at, like, six o'clock in the morning. And then I go to work. And then I get out at six o'clock at night and then I drive from work to the comedy center, to the comedy show mm -hmm. and then I perform and then I drive an hour home and go to sleep right. so like I, I like going up early because I'm already burnt out I just don't want to get even more burnt out and right. then screw up my set do people uh, in um at your work know that you do stand up uh yeah a couple people you know, I had a couple friends who have now leave, left Amazon, so I, I don't have really any friends now who know that I do comedy, but, you know, like, those friends that I've told, they have supported me, and they have came out to the shows, and, you know, told me, because how I am on stage is the same as how I am on, in person. Right. So it's just, like, they just wanted to see, hey, what story is Rob telling today, more than seeing me as a performer. Right. Were you a performer growing up? Did you do any, like, acting or any, like, school plays or anything? Uh, I didn't do, well, I didn't do school plays, but my mom was a big fan, a big fucking fan of Michael Jackson when oh. I was growing up. So, like, my mom for Halloween and stuff, like, she bought, like, the silver glove and the, the, the jacket and the hat and the, and the shoes, and I went as Michael Jackson for Halloween. Oh, that's and that's really cool. Yeah, and and like I got like I watch like I saw Michael Jackson so much in my life growing up. Like she watched all the movies, all the music videos. All right, so like I learned how to moonwalk and stuff. So I would like perform for my family. Oh, that's Michael so cool. Jackson. Yeah, that's really great to have that that thing of like once you learn how to. Once you get that spotlight of, like, how you deal with that is really great. And it can really ignite, like, oh, I can do this. I can perform in front of people. And uh, you must have been, I don't want to assume, but were you pretty good at, like, when you had to do presentations at school? Were you pretty good at that? Yeah, it didn't bother me. You could just go up there and be like, yeah, this is. Did you get in trouble in school for, like, talking too much or anything? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I did. I would think so. My Spanish teacher used to tell me to shut up in Spanish. Or what was it called? Cayete. <laughs> yeah. Cayete Rebecca. I'm like, the fuck? The fuck did you just say to me? I'm a student. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was never a person who really got in trouble a whole lot, but it's like, that was, that was a tough thing. Like, just the, like, I've talked about it so much time on this podcast of how like I started getting funnier was 
I used to get made fun of a lot, and then I would, you know, I would fight back, like, verbally when I was a teenager, and I should have been getting in trouble, but my teachers would laugh at all my comebacks and shit that I would say. And I envy not having that personality anymore, of, like, when I did one of those when I was a teenager, being a little bit more, I don't know, the word for it, but, like, an attitude. Sassy. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I wish that I had more of that sassiness. Now I'm just like, more easy going, <laughs> which is good for real life, but not good for comedy. <laughs> you know. Yeah, dude. I mean, like, just like how you are now, like how you are as a person. You're like one of the nicest guys. Oh, thank you. In, like in comedy, you know, like they're they're nice guys, but you're just like you're just a very nice dude, and you know, like you don't treat anybody like shit or try to act like you're better than other people. So that's why I respect you as a person and a comedian. I mean, I think the one thing for me, I definitely, I never had like a real, I don't think snobbiness to me. The only problem that I really had starting out was I was much, I grew up, I was held back in kindergarten. So I was much, I was a year older than everyone growing up. And then when I started doing stand-up, and especially when I started in improv too, but when I started doing stand-up, well, when I started in improv, I was doing it with kids my age. So then when I, did um, did stand up? Started doing stand up. I was twenty two and a half, like twenty two, and uh, no, no, twenty one and a half, twenty one, and then into twenty two, and I was younger than everyone, and I still am. But now at twenty nine, it's not that bad because it's not that far away in age from people anymore. But I started with people who were much older than me, like Joe McAndrew and uh, um, Dan, and like. You know, I just had people who were a couple of years older than me. And uh, it was tough to, like, that that way to to go through it because I, I think you can probably, you and uh, Nick can kind of relate to this, is even though you're not that far away from age, people can still talk, talk down to you even though you're, you're in your 20s. Like, yeah. they can still, like, you know, you're only, like, three years older than, someone's only, like, three years younger than, older than you and they're like why are you talking to me like this like i'm not like a kid <laughs> like, yeah, you know some there are a lot of older there are a lot of like people in their 30s or close to being in their 30s yeah you know who do comedy with us and you know i'm 23 so i I'm, i feel like the baby at the time right it's 24 so that's tough you know, we're, we're just we're just talking to people and you know hopefully they don't feel that we that like hey like these kids are just trying to do comedy like i don't think they feel that way right. if they do it's a shame it's all here trying to do the yeah. same thing i mean my biggest thing that i had that i had to learn was i had to get used to being where i was because i had a lot of like big aspirations and i think everyone does when they start out they have a lot of big aspirations and i sort of had to realize like i was going to be in this one place for a while so i had to change my attitude and that's how this podcast came about was I wanted to give people, like, especially when I started interviewing people, I wanted to give everyone a platform. Because I feel in the tri-state area of, like, New Jersey, Philly, New York, like, New Jersey has the least, like, recognition of comedians when we have so many great comedians. And it's like, you know, if I can give anyone the spotlight, like, that'll probably, it makes the scene better. It makes people realize, like... Just having you on, it's great because people will realize things that they have in common with you. And it's sort of like a cool behind the music kind of thing to have comics on. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good way of putting it, Dwight. Yeah, because I think one of my things that I had was uh, not everyone has the same goals as you, as like other people. So like me, my, my main goal is... Like, I don't want to be, like, Kevin Hart level, like, famous, but, you know, Mark Norman? Yeah. I want to be, like, that level of, like, comedian, where, like, you're kind of doing it for, like, a living, and it's not, like, you're super, super, duper famous. It's just, like, comedians know you. Because that's the main yeah, thing well, with me, and I think... Also, well, he was super, duper famous for SNL. Oh, that's not good about. Uh, that's Norm MacDonald. Uh, oh, my bad. I was talking about someone else. But, uh... And Mark Norman, okay, okay, I, I got you. Yeah, but um, we can talk about He's SNL. Were you a big fan of uh, SNL and any of that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I
SNL, yeah, I liked it when Adam Sandler was on it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Love Adam Sandler. Oh, yeah. And uh, Adam Sandler is such a fascinating thing because you talk about being... uh, Talk about being 23. He started doing comedy when he was 18. And his dad was very, very strict. And his dad told him if... You weren't famous by 23. Like, if you weren't successful by 23, like, you have to come work with me in my business. And at, like, 22, he got an SNL. And it's, like, it's just, like, crazy that that pushed him. But his stand-up is very underrated. Uh, have you ever seen, um, you know Elazar, right? Elves? Elazar? Guzman? Oh, Elazar, yeah. His stand-up reminds me a lot of Adam Sandler's stand-up. It's just like, it's very, and we have a very similar thing of just being that nervousness on stage of just being nervous people. But it's, it's a fun way to find people that you sort of have a connection to on stage. Like you have with Joey Diaz and like Nick and those people. Uh, do you have anyone else in the scene that sort of has helped you a whole lot? What do you think? In the comedy scene? Yeah. Um, I think, like I said, uh, Bill Burr right. has helped me. Yeah. And uh, who else? I really like, uh, what's his name? Patrice O'Neill. Oh, yeah. Patrice is just fantastic. Like, Patrice has helped me a lot with comedy. Oh, yeah. And his, he was just amazing. Oh, my God. So cool. And... Just a really fascinating, like, it's fascinating how he became, I was talking about this in another episode with someone, is um, he started doing comedy because he went to a comedy show and he heckled, and then the person dared him to do stand-up, like, right away, like, right on stage, like, come up and do it, and he killed, like, you know, I've seen that happen where people will heckle us, and then they'll come up on stage, like, two seconds later, and they'll just bomb, like terribly and it's like such a fun thing to watch because it's like oh that person who was nassle can't do it but he went up on stage and he was like immediately good yeah he was <laughs> like just like when you go on youtube and look up patrice o'neill the first three uh hbo specials were phenomenal yeah just phenomenal and i feel like even though he was known to sort of be like this tension person like some of his his writing stuff was very funny. I loved his one joke about um, the girlfriend bothering him when he watches TV, and the way he yes. just describes that, like that whole entire thing. Oh, like, she's like, "What are you watching? Let me make you a sandwich. Let me do this." He's like, "You just want to be left alone." You know who, uh, I was curious if you ever watched him, he, he died a couple of years ago, is um, Ralphie May. Have you ever watched his stuff? I have watched Ralphie May. He's fantastic, too. He's awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, even at, like, even if you see clips of him on YouTube at the Comedy Store, yeah. it was amazing. Oh, yeah. And just, like, he those, had that attitude. Those are the type of guys that are going to go down in, like, history for, like, this comedy. Right. This comedy career, because... Because that was a really good time for doing comedy. Yeah. Like in the, what was it, 90s, 2000s? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the thing that's so different now is so many more people do comedy that it's really, uh, that's one thing that the boom of like 2010s kind of ruined for comedy. Not really ruined, but it just made more people do it. So it's very tough to get your... To get your stuff out there, like, um, when I started, like, I knew people who were started in the 80s, and they could do, like, I was talking with uh, Grunfest, and he was, you know, um, Bob, he was doing stuff with a lot of, uh, like, names, and he was, he was doing okay, and then once you get, nowadays, it's so tough to make any sort of break, you know, get anything. Yeah, dude, it is just, comedy is a very, very 
in the beginning, it's a vicious battle. You know, you just want to get yourself known. Yeah, you want to get yourself known you and good. You, like, you just want you want people to say, hey, that's Richard Dweck. Right. Okay, or hey, that's Nick Sanchez. Hey, that's Rob Block. Hey, that's whoever. Right. You want people to know you before you even get that thing. Like, you just want to, you just want to craft your art, and you want to get good at it. And then once you get good at it, then you maintain it. Right. And you just spread that around to the world. Right. I've ever, I've, I've wondered, uh, with the, you know, it's like, you mentioned that you write everything down and you have everything. You have, do you have like a list of stories now that are like in a list, not even in like a, like an order, but do you have a lot of stories now that you've accumulated that you're like, oh, I could tell these all, like a couple of these if I ever had the time. Because I think that's yeah. the toughest thing with stand-up, especially when you're when you're getting into it and you like it. Like the thing that I hate now about doing stand-up is it's so it's so little time now. Like five minutes goes by super fast, and once you're yeah. killing at like three minutes, that last two minutes gets so annoying because you're like, I want to save this, I want this to go on. So with you, that must be tough to do storytelling wise because it's like you got to keep within the light right yeah so that's why when you get a feature spot it feels like threat which i saw that you got a feature spot this monday yeah yeah i mean to me it's like you know and i don't like to me that's the biggest thing like no those spots aren't paid but they're good because it's like well that's 10 minutes and i can just work work on my shit and be like you know have that freedom you know because once i get into my, like, I used to, when I used to do comedy, like, when I started, it would take me, like, three minutes just to get the crowd to like me, and then now it's, like, the thing that I learned is the sort of the, and you make an impression right away, which is good, just with how confident and, like, a people person you are, but my main thing that I always say to people is, like, people need to know who you are in, like, 15, 30 seconds. You kind of have to be like the Kool-Aid guy and like jump into the room and be like, this is who I am, you know? And once people sort of get that taste of who you are as a person, they can just really, uh, like, once they understand who you are, then that makes everything better. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's the art of being, it's literally being comfortable. Like yeah, have, for sure. Once you're comfortable on stage, then you can, I feel like you can tell your set, you can tell your story or your jokes. Oh, yeah. But, you, but the first thing, the first second you get up there, that's first impressions mean everything. So yeah, you gotta sure. make these people know who you are before you start telling these jokes. Right. Does, like, I'm a big, per like, I always hate, the one thing that I love and hate about sort of how I do comedy is I'm very... I'm not, like, show business, like, fake. Like, if I'm upset during a mic or I have, like, a bad day or something, like, I go up in that mood and I play in that mood. And I'll play up stuff, but mostly I stay in that same mood. Do you feel like when you do comedy, you you are authentic to your mood? Or do you ever just, like, you know, if you're having a bad time, like, you just sort of suppress it and try and be, like, kind of professional? Yeah, there were there were days where I wasn't having the greatest of days, and it affected my set. And I just didn't like it, so you know I tried not to make I try not to let emotion mm -hmm. like mix with comedy. I mean, I mean, like yeah, I do have emotion with comedy, but I don't let like my outside emotions out of comedy mix in with like work or personal life. Right. Like I want all that energy to go into comedy so that I can be the best comedian I can be. Right. And even though you're telling stories, uh, you still have a little bit, and I've noticed this, you still have a little bit of, um, I don't want to say regular, but you know, you have uh, pretty traditional stand-up. The one thing that is really fascinating to me, and I would talk about this with Gene, of what he sort of evolved with, is I feel like you're more comfortable talking about yourself in ways like talking about like just your uh your anxiety thing, your your uh the um what's it called? What's the 
the uh, disease cold that you have for uh, that you can't drink? Oh, MS. MS, right. Just talking about all that stuff. Because it can be so personal to talk about that shit. Like, do you feel like you've gotten more comfortable in that zone of like, okay, these people can know a little bit more about me? I feel like eventually within comedy, I'm gonna people are gonna know about me, right. and you want people to know about you. You want people to know everything, right? So I just tell people what how it is, right? And if I can talk jokes out of my problems, then I'll be damned if I don't use them, right? So like, if you had it now, like you're sort of we were talking about like lengths of sets, like if you were to do all of your material that you have so far. You could probably do like a good forty-five minutes already, just with the the length of the the amount of material that you have with stories. Yeah, like that's one of the things that's so great about you. You built up such a a repertoire of like things to things to do, and it's surprising to hear that you write stuff down because like you don't really repeat stuff that much. Like you don't do like. Like, sometimes you'll come up and you'll do, like, the same, like, story from, like, the night before. If we're, like, going to Nip and Tuck in life from Dan's mic. But most of the time, week to week, it's, like, different every day, every time. Do you have that? Yeah. You... Yeah, I just, I, I don't like, re- like, for some reason, I don't like repeating. Right. Because usually it's the same crowd and I feel like right. I'm not going to laugh. For sure, yeah. Joke if they already heard it before, so I try to challenge myself and come up with something new every time for the people that I'm performing for. Right. Are you, uh, are you gonna go to, um, Caprio's mic tomorrow? The, uh, soft mic? Uh, I believe so. I don't know if it's him hosting. I think it might be the other people. But, uh, you know, that's a great, that's a great mic. And to see how that mic has changed, you know, it's kind of funny when I started going there a couple of years ago, like we completely sort of gentrified it. Like when I went there with like mostly a black comic mic. So like that was a cool room to be in because you sort of got to learn like what people laugh at, you know, and being around different races is always great in comedy because you just get to learn like what makes people laugh, you know, community wise of like, okay, this this is relatable and this is not, <laughs> you know, but I love that mic and they always make it a good time. Yeah. I, I like his, I love his mic too. It's really cool. You know, it was filled last week. Like I, oh like, yeah. Last week I lost mic was filled. Oh yeah. And I was thinking, you know, there's no way that they could probably ever know like when people are going to show up. But it would be cool for them to make some type of, you know, uh, revenue from it. Because if we ever get, like, an audience that keeps coming, like, they're going to have to start paying us. Because that'd be really cool. But, uh... That would be cool. Yeah. But it's just, like, that's the thing. You can never be too greedy with comedy. It's just, like, you get what you get. And it's just cool to have that audience. And it completely changes the the spirit of the room where it's, like... You know, Dan always wants people to do new stuff. And it's like, well, you know, I, I was listening to one of my sets and I sort of said it. It's like, you know, you want to either work on your stuff or you want to kill. And that desire to kill can either really lead to, like, either a good set or, like, you just getting too much in your head. Yeah, right. So, yeah, um... I, I feel like... With me, I sometimes get too much in my head because I want to remember my set. Right. And then, like, the room changes, and I feel like it's not going to work. But what I've learned is just go with what you know. Just go with what you're doing. Like, don't change it for anything. Just do with what you planned on doing. Because if you try to go rogue, it's not going to be great. It's not going to be as well as you were when you had a plan. Right. Oh. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, doing this, though, and being on and everything. Uh, what is your uh, social media stuff? Uh, you guys can follow me at Rob Block Comedy. <laughs> That's all. 
Oh, shoot. So what are your social things? <laughs> social media stuff again. On Facebook, Instagram, and coming up on TikTok, Rob Block Comedy. All right, great. Uh, yeah, TikTok is, uh, do you watch a lot of TikTok? Yeah. Okay. It's so tough to get lost in it, you know? It's like... Yeah. There you go. Have you watched the hearing at all about it? Like, the... The hearing? Like, they have, like, a thing now with, like, Congress of, like, the guy that is getting interviewed about it because they think, like, it's a security issue. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about it's it. It's like... I saw that on TikTok. It's such a weird thing. It reminds me of, like, the same thing they did with Zuckerberg where they, like... They have no idea what they're talking about. It's like, it's insane. But um, thank you so much again for uh, for doing this, and I can't wait to see you again uh, tomorrow. That'll be awesome. I'll see you tomorrow at Dan's Lake. Yeah, for sure. All right. Bye. Bye, Drake.